out of the corner of your eye. Where? What? Do you see him running down the street? No. Who? Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) (laughs) He's running in the darkness. Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) I remember the first time you showed me that. Oh, I didn't get shown. We got shown at the exact same time. Really? Usually you beat me to these internet sensations. Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, I, I just remember the vine where the guy's on the motorcycle and he's driving up alongside this truck and there he is, Shia LaBeouf. If you ever seen the gif of Shia LaBeouf looking really dapper in a suit, clapping fervently, eyes fixed straight ahead, it's from that song and it is a fabulous song. <laughs> Giant paper mache heads of Shia LaBeouf, dancers, choirs, it's got everything. Sees you in the darkness, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I don't even know if that's an actual line. You could literally put anything. <laughs> Robot from the future, Shia LaBeouf, and it works. <laughs> from a childhood actor, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Was on Even Stevens, Shia LaBeouf. No, it's Chrissy Cross Romano, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Was on Transformers, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> So, yeah, I just, I knew as soon as we picked this, I'm like, I already know what our opening's going to be. You got to be very careful. Maybe I'll just slide in the song. We don't even review. We'll just have 50 minutes of that repeating. I I do. I do. uh, I am sad that we don't actually have songs or other songs in our reviews. Because I would be like, we don't even need an opener. We just need this, that song. Much like the movie today, I think it's going to be hit or miss if we start doing that for our episodes. True. Very, very true. Today, we are talking about Shia LaBeouf's uh, first or one of his first... And uh, he's Aaron. F. God. (laughs) Yeah, I did kind of forget that. She's Elizabeth. You ran right over it. She's Elizabeth. He's Aaron. And And we're we're married to to the the idea. idea. Why don't you go ahead and do the plug party then? (laughs) You can follow us on Facebook at Married to the Idea. You can email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on our Patreon and get exclusive content, patreon.com slash Married to the Idea so you can see behind the scenes content. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea. I'm literally trying to find if this was his... Well, the credits say that he is introduced in this movie. I'm going to assume that means he did not act... In anything big previous to this. Uh, no, he did He did one movie before this, but this was probably his, like, first... This was his first starring role, is what I would say. I'm going to gather. This is his Iron Man. <laughs> this movie um, and book are way better than anyone ever gives it credit for. I always forget how neat and tidy this story gets wrapped up in and um we're you know we'll get to all of that um but i just i always forget that lewis satcher is a great author or at least a great children's author i would say well you were the one who liked his wayside stories did you not well no just that you were the 
we both independently when we were kids read different Lewis Sacker stuff. You were more of a wayside school kid. I remember reading them. I don't remember reading them as much because um, I remember reading one and not really understanding it, not really getting that it's supposed to be zany and really out there. And then rereading it a couple of years later, and then being like, oh, this is really inventive. This is really funny. This is really good. Why didn't I appreciate it earlier? He has a very Roald Dahl-esque quality of not sugarcoating the really mean things in the world. Uh, Roald doesn't get quite so realistic, but does let your child side imagine all the terrible, horrible things that adults do. I think that's the good quality of any children's entertainment. Adults are kind of (laughs) evil. Hey, kids, adults are mostly evil. Don't grow up. Never grow grow up. up. Stay young forever. I, uh, I remember hearing about this movie and um, having a teacher tell me, oh, it's based on a book. You should read the book. It's really good. I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, did you ever read Wayside Stories? I'm like, I think I did. And she showed me the book. I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely did that. And they're like, okay, well, you got to read the book before the movie comes out. And I did. And I was like, this is pretty good. And then I watched the movie. I'm like, okay, the movie is pretty close to it. Not like a like a 100% faithful adaptation, but compared to some other adaptations out there, it's one of the better ones I've seen. I don't know. I think it's 100%. There is nothing in here. It paces itself the same way, uses dialogue the same way, and in a really good way. It doesn't feel like it's just a, oh, how does it put this? Just because it's lifting directly from the source of material does not make it sound bad. Sometimes when you lift things directly, like Good Omens, lifting chunks of dialogue just for God to say as the narrator, it's stifling because it's narration. And narration is a terrible way to tell a story. But they do a really good job making sure that everything that's discussed is all within the context of the actual story as a character saying it. Well, there was a um, screenplay written with this concept in mind where this guy gets sent to a disciplinary camp, but it was a lot darker and it was post-apocalyptic and and it was really, really weird. (laughs) And they're like, no. (laughs) And so they end up finally settling on a a screenplay adaptation actually written by Lewis Satcher. So, I mean, to have a adaptation written by the author themselves is pretty good, but that has happened in the past, and it's not done well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's because the writing itself was natural. There isn't a lot of flowery language, and everything feels very real. The interactions all the kids have with each other, the dialogue that they share, what they end up doing, I think it all works together pretty well for this particular adaptation. I think these young actors definitely influenced the characters that you see on screen. They, you know, adapted them pretty well, but they're... The, the main story, the main plot points are note for note pretty much hit. There's a couple things that are set out of order, and I don't really care for that, but it's I like I would say um, if it's a hundred percent of a adaptation, I would say it's a it's a B minus or B plus a minus. I think the only thing they don't do is that in the book Stanley is overweight. 
And they don't say it in the IMDb trivia, which I'm really, really sad about. But I actually remember reading recently, within the last year or two, that the director, Andrew Davis, actually did not want to get an actor that he liked and then force them to become overweight just to then lose the weight. He didn't want a young actor to have to go through that kind of transformation. Because in the book, and uh, I I guess we kind of need to say that you and I did both actually get copies of this book and read it ourselves. Just to make sure, just to remember if we actually was as accurate as we thought it was. And it really was. It re- I remember th- watching it as a kid and thinking, this is pretty close to the book. There's some differences. There were less differences than I remember as a kid than as an adult having read it and then watched it almost immediately after. But... That was that was one big difference, and I remember kind of being angry as a kid, like he's supposed to be overweight, and you know, being a little bit of a chubster myself as a kid, I was like, oh, I kind of stunk, and but because it showed a transformation, because he when he started, he was actually bigger than the biggest kid in the the tent that he stays with, and then he does actually end up losing weight, at, you know, being there for a few months, you know, working in the hot sun and sweating it off and everything, so. That I, I that I do miss that, but at the same time, I completely understand why the director didn't do it. Yeah, not every kid is Christian Bale. <laughs> so, what what was your favorite thing that they they either left out or that that they actually did bring in? Oh, uh, I pretty much liked all of it. I think my favorite part is I think my favorite, my favorite part of the story is uh, the romance between uh, Sam and Kate. There's a lot of really cool interacting stories that go throughout the entirety of holes we have our protagonist's journey being falsely accused of stealing these shoes um his family's story of the curse that lay upon their family has made them unlucky for generations uh the story of camp green lake and what the town used to be the story of kate barlow the story of uh stanley's grandfather all of these different arcs that all have to weave together and by the end when you say tidy, I think that's the correct word. They, Everything has a purpose. Everything has a use. Everything has momentum. But it doesn't feel like it's forced. It doesn't feel like a morality play. More so that these people, when given the chance, were able to do this and how everything sort of changed because of that. But I think my favorite part is just Sam and Kate because I really like uh, how Dulé Hill plays it. Oh, Dulé Hill. It, got, it gives me serious uh, Princess Bride vibes. The two of them just like looking at each other from afar and she's like, polish my saddle. And he's like, as you wish. The roof is leaking. I can fix that. <laughs> uh, there's just this really nice sentimentality about the whole thing. It's really sweet. And of course, it's inevitably sad because it's the early 1800s and life is cruel for everyone back then. But there's just real, real sadness and pathos to it. Uh, I also like in this one that Zero, in the movie, that Zero's mom has been looking for him too. Because in the book, it's implied that she was probably doing drugs or mentally challenged. or There was something that was keeping her from living a normal life for her and her child. And she wanted to, but she couldn't. And that when she got separated from him, it wasn't her fault, but she didn't have any way of getting back in touch with him. And they describe it in the book that she looks like she's like so much older than she actually is and not exactly all there but that she's happy to be back with her son. This one, I like that they both were trying to find each other, and they just couldn't find each other. 
it's a bit more of a Disney ending, and <laughs> but I I still I agree. I liked the approach of the final scene in the book more, like how they just they're all they happen to be there, and it it's more of a a reveal of everything. But I I get what you're saying, and the fact that the book doesn't shy away from that. I respect as an adult. As a kid, I didn't really get it. You know, I got that his mom had to leave him, but I thought she had to leave him just because she was just trying to go work, you know, or like trying to, you know, maybe trying to sleep with somebody to get some money so she could feed them, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's why she had to leave him behind for a little bit. But I, but it's, I can see where that thought process came from. So, um, I I like it, but at the same time, the the book the the final scene is more of a reveal. It's more almost like I can see a camera going through like this living room, and it's like, oh, there's the boys from the D tent. Oh, there's Stanley's parents. Oh, there's um, Hector and his mom, and then there's Stanley sitting on the couch next to um, this character Clyde Sweetfeet Livingston. And then, um, or like he's sitting next to this random woman and then the commercial starts and like, cause like that's how the, that, that's almost how the book describes it. So I would have, cause that was almost set up for a visual long one visual shot. And I would have preferred that per- personally, um, you know, coming from a cinematography, cinemagraphic, um, is that about how much your audience can infer if your audience can infer it without you having to spell things out for them? Well, Okay, so there are things in the movie, so that's why I give the adaptation of it a B minus or B plus A minus because there are some things that this movie does really, 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 really well on, and then there are things that like are completely unnecessary that they add in, like the whole thing. There's a scene where uh, Mr. Sir, one of the camp counselors, or you know. Basically, he watches the boys to make sure that they don't, you know, misbehave. Um, he's a jerk in the book, and he's a crazy jerk in the movie. Um, played Hamily by John Voight. I, I, I cannot describe it any differently than that. There's a random scene where Stanley gets out of the shower and um, is walking back towards the tent, and Mister Sir, like, draws his gun on him. And then he realized that there's a really bad CGI, um, yellow spotted lizard, which in this mythos is like the most deadly creature in this in this area. Like one bite, you're gonna die. Um, and he shoots the lizard, and it's like a big kind of thrilling scene, but it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the cinematic part. How are we going to describe? why the yellow spot lizard is bad we need to have some sort of interaction visually to really get the point across yeah i just felt like it was a as like oh we've got john Voigt. we got to use john Voigt. <laughs> that's there's there was more than one of those oh, well, scenes then we need well then we should have been doing that with sigourney weaver and we didn't exactly sigourney weaver was absolutely perfect for this role she had that quiet intensity that i read in that book i remember thinking that as a kid i'm like wow ripley did a really good job (laughs) i think that it does really well and i think it's mostly carried on the shoulders of the kids if the kids are believable 
it's not going to work. And I think that a lot of them, not only the dialogue in the books, but the interactions they let them have and play out within the movie more freestyle, give them weight, give them substance that they are just, they're kids and they've been bad, but they aren't all bad at heart, but they have the exact same dynamics that a bunch of boys would have in a situation where there's ranks and levels and some of you are more important than others and some of you get to have perks and get to be first in line. Yeah, I can see that. I was never really a part of that kind of clique, so um, I, I never had that experience, but I can see that. And I mean, it never, like, didn't make sense to me, like, why X-Ray was the leader or why there was a hierarchy in the waterline. It That made sense. Um, and, you know, whenever Stanley uh, does something for the leader X-Ray, you know, it made sense that he moved up in the line. So it almost felt like a, you know, a prison gang mm-hmm. that he had inadvertently joined a prison gang. Yeah, the movie made it a lot easier for me to see why they nicknamed him Caveman. Because not until I watched the movie did I realize, oh, it's because he found the fossil. And they play it before he even finds it, that he's a Neanderthal. So I finally got where his nickname came from. Because I kind of got lost in the book about why they called him that. In the book, it's a little bit more subtle. The book is more subtle about some things. The book, they, they try to say that he's quieter, that he thinks... Like how they say zero... He, he's nothing he is nobody with caveman that he's kind of like he's not stupid but he's just kind of like he takes a lot longer to think about things and he's like he, uh, they uh the author likes to say that he shrugs one shoulder a lot and it's maybe they think that be, he's beca- that's because he's stupid it's more so he just doesn't want to say the wrong thing the where the movie had to be a little bit more expressive with it because a it's disney and b they had less time and they had to show up visually it's not necessarily a dis- not a distraction but a a negative that they had to be a little bit more or a little less subtle with it but with the book he was able to be a little bit more subtle but yeah with finding the fossil that was kind of fun a fun little thing to add to the caveman nickname but in the book he gets that nickname day one so in this in this he gets it like a few days in I want to kind of dive a little bit more into the movie, but uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll take a small break and jump into the sponsor down. Maybe maybe it'll be a hot, sweaty, dusty one. <laughs> well, isn't all of Mad Max hot, sweaty, and dusty? Yeah. One sponsor enters. One sponsor leaves. Well, if you're gonna do it, you gotta give us some pomp and circumstance. I, well, I don't even. We don't have two sponsors. We only have one. Today's show is it's brought an to undefeated you. champion, Aaron. Undefeated champion. Yes. Will there be one? Will there be another sponsor to uh, try to dethrone it? If you want to be the sponsor that dethrones, you can visit our Patreon. One of our tiers is where you get to enter the sponsor dome, and we'll talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Yes, if you have a personal message that you want to give to someone else, or if you uh, have a product that you would like us to shill, um, I can shill some products. Or if you want to wish me a happy birthday, because guess what? It's my birthday. This is coming out on Friday. It's my birthday. Oh, well, yeah, I guess if it's coming out <laughs> on Friday, it would be your 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 birth your birthday. My birthday. So be sure to leave Liz a uh, happy birthday and down in the comments. Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> 
Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea to get started today. And remember that it's T-O, not the number two. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and much more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And our suggestion today actually comes from the same author of Holes and the same series from Holes, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, I hadn't known that Holes had a sequel. Uh, My personal favorite of Lewis Sackers is The Card Turner. That's my personal favorite. And see, I think I've heard of this, but I didn't didn't even really realize that it was I believe we have it upstairs in the library if you want to look at it. I definitely want to look at it. Um, But I I think I've heard of Fuzzy Mud, um, which came out uh, about three or four years ago. But I do, I do remember hearing about Small Steps, which is the second book in the whole series. And it takes place, or rather, it is about uh, Armpit, one of the boys from the D-Tent, where Stanley Yelnitz, the main character, uh, he resides during his time at Camp Greenlake. At the end of the book in the movie, he's the only one that we get to see some sort of attempt at reconciliation. He gives Stanley... A number and says to call his mom and tell her that he is sorry. So I'm going to guess that this book deals with that particular redemption arc. Which is weird because in the book it's squid. Um, oh, see, I yeah. thought it was armpit. It it's it's a weird change um, that they that they did or that even the author did. Maybe the author was like, oh, because I know I want to write this book. He does this. Um, there actually was a compendium of sorts or it was like a um a beginner's guide or whatever or a camper's guide to or Kent Green Lake's guide or something like that and I remember reading it and it was actually really good because it gave a history to the the camp itself to the town the warden a little bit and like the various animals to the people and it showed a little bit of what happened to Stanley after the book ended um to zero after the book ended and even like why some of the boys were in there because you only really hear in the movie why two of the boys got uh arrested besides stanley and zero actually armpits was kind of an interesting one and because they say what happened to everybody or why they got arrested in the first place and armpit actually had the probably the the most quote-unquote serious offense out of all of them because he sold drugs or at least he sold what looked like drugs Mm. yeah and whenever they figured out that he he basically he was selling or he was had the intent of selling and so like but it was just like crushed up aspirin or something like that so yeah so it was uh it was um it's interesting that he wrote another book on armpit so that's definitely one that definitely we hi- recommend so of course any by this author is highly recommending or recommendable <laughs> uh including wayside school is falling down and uh small steps of course again written by lewis hatcher is narrated by curtis mclaren so we definitely recommend that i want to talk about feminist theory <laughs> 
we're, about the movie. I'm staying on topic. Okay. You want to dive? Let's dive. Okay. Let's get deep. All right. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's do it. I really dig the women in this book. The, mo- this the mother movie. is no nonsense, but not so much where you can't identify with her. Um, the warden is great chillingly. Villain. Oh God, such a great villain! Great tragic villain. She didn't cause this thing. It's nope. part of her family's legacy that she is doomed to There's hunt. There's three this different lake. family leg- legacies that none of the three characters that we see started but they each continue it without really wanting to or realizing it mm-hmm. um kissing kate barlow fabulous oh fabulous so fellas. Awesome. she's the original come on darling smile a little <laughs> oh you want that sure bam you're dead here's your kiss like such a badass and then i feel like i'm forgetting somebody well in the book we get some more stuff uh we of course have madame zaroni madame zaroni uh, which that's while being a little bit of a racial stereotype i will say is a fun character and i'm glad that eartha kit plays her and eartha kit what a treasure <laughs> and uh we even get the wife uh Ilya's wife when he doesn't make it to america he marries and in the book, it talks about how he tells her, listen, I'm so supremely bad at luck. It's never going to work. And she's like, I'm here. I don't believe in that kind of thing. I just, I know I love you and I I know how to help and I'm going to try and help. And I think that's like all the women of the Elnats family. Pretty sticking much, by their yeah. men, even as their men just that's have the That's the one luck. bit of locket that they get is that they find good women because the five Yelnatses that we see in the book and in the movie are Ilya... Stanley one, Stanley the first, Stanley the second, Stanley the third, and Stanley the fourth, which is the main character of the book. Ilya is told to find a girl that can think for herself, that can plow a field, that can milk a cow, and you know tend to the goats and stuff like that. When he moves to America, he finds someone that can do all that, but can also think for herself because they stay up all night talking and laughing. So. That's very, very awesome. We never meet Stanley's grandmother, but we know Stanley's, or sorry, great-grandmother. No, sorry. Take a step back. (laughs) Stanley's great-grandfather, the first Stanley, uh, actually gets robbed by Kate Barlow. But but she doesn't kiss him, so he lives. Exactly. So a little, and just a little bit of luck. And then the who ends up taking care of him after he gets off of God's thumb is the one that he ends up marrying. Exactly. So a little bit of luck. We never really hear about Kate's grandmother, or sorry, Stanley's grandmother, because even in the book, they don't even really talk about his grandfather. That's, he's kind of a character invented for the uh, the movie. Again, a way to remove narration. Like, we don't even, um, we narrated in the book is the reason why Barfbag, the kid who was there before Stanley got there, left because of Rattlesnake bit him. And in the book, the kids tell him that, yeah, he took off his socks and shoes. He wanted to get bit. He was so tired of being here. But in this one, they choose to just visually show that so you don't have to tell that story. And they choose to visually have the grandfather there just telling the story of what happened so you don't have to have it done through narration. I and I like that, um, but it's... the. We'll, we'll 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 get back to that. Just remind me of it when we get a little bit further in, because I I am liking this 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 vein that we've we've struck gold on. And then Stanley's mother, who's very no nonsense, does not believe in the curse, but loves her family. Like you can definitely tell that she is just she's very much like I will not hear about this curse, Stanley. I love you. Like it is it is very much a mother who's like who is tired about hearing this curse or 
tired of people blaming this curse when in reality it should just be hard work and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. They do a good job of saying that in the book, again, more narration, but in the movie they have a good job of making it worked in through dialogue that you can be smart and you can be persistent, but you also need to have a little bit of luck to succeed at anything, and they just don't have that. They have everything else but luck. And I think that's really true. You could be a really hard worker and be really smart, but unless you have that luck, you may just never get where you're supposed to be going. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we have the warden, who is uh, Dolores Umbridge levels of cruelty and just terror. With, especially with her like forms of torture. And her rattlesnake nails. And, um, of course, kissing Kate Barlow, who I think is, like, one of my favorite tragic people. Oh, man. She's so sweet at the beginning of her story, and then at the end, so, like, unyieldly, like, badass, and, like, does not give two shits. And she even says it, you know, I'm, it's so hot, but I feel so cold. When we're done with you, we're going to make you wish that you were dead. I've been wishing I was dead for 20 years. Woman, there's nothing left to lose. The minute Sam died, nothing left to lose. That's why she went on this crazy spree. Absolutely. Yeah, she didn't care. Normally, it's the chick that dies and a guy goes on a whatever to get vengeance. It's it had some very interesting, strong female characters. Played, again, Patricia Arquette, who played Kissing Kate Barlow, did a really, really good job. I won't say that um, she was badly written because she was well written. There were some weird dubbing parts, especially when at the beginning of her scene, or sorry, beginning shots of her scenes. Um, it just kind of took me out of the moment. That's I won't will not say that's Patricia Arquette's fault by any means. There was some weird filming stuff where they'd take frames out or they'd speed things up. Some weird filmmaking techniques very early thousands. Yeah, that was what I wanted to get into. Right, there was a lot. This thing is so steeped in that. It's There's a lot of wide angle lenses, like, you know, getting out of the late late 1990s. And weird cross dissolves, weird speeding up of the film, removing panels from the film to make it look choppier. Slow-mo, but not Zack Snyder slow-mo. If someone were to take this exact film, this exact screenplay, and do it today, if they, and they stuck to it, and they did it today, it would be a much more faithful adaptation, and I think it would be, like, instead of it, it would almost be like retaking a test, and you know for a fact, um, you know for a fact, it would be like, oh man, I got a B, but I really need an A, and you could get that A. It's, it's like, you just need to put forth it bit more effort so but you could tell that even after under the bad cgi they just eventually just went with real live bearded dragons oh yeah fine. there was there was a mix between them because whenever they like they need to move and the bearded dragons wouldn't like it yeah bearded dragon ain't gonna do any of that like running around its hind legs sort of stuff <laughs> that's so stupid and it was some really bad cgi too but i think if it wasn't so rooted in some of this early 2000s stuff and like like, this really weird hit-and-miss soundtrack. Like, there's some really good songs and, like, really powerful stuff. And then, like, some awkward-as-fuck stuff, too. And then somehow, <laughs> the song with Shia LaBeouf rapping is the song that is the best. <laughs> Take it on, I still love that damn song. I remember uh, hearing it uh, in middle school and be like, that's so freaking cool. That's fire. <laughs> it's so lit, fam. 
it's 100. Oh, man. I got told I was old this weekend. And I'm like, I'm not that much older than all of you. And they're like, we're barely in our 20s. Some of us are teenagers. I'm like, son of a bitch. I'm like, and I asked one of them, I'm like, wait, are you closer to 20 or closer to 30? And they're like, closer to 20? And I'm like, god damn it, I'm almost 30. We're so old, Aaron. We're so old. And I'm older than you. You still have a few more days that you get to be 28, live in the moment. Though they did, they did kind of pump up my ego a little bit. They're like, you know what, Aaron, you're not old. You just have always been. You're just that kind of thing that just has always been around. You just emerged one day from the mist. You're the monolith. I am the monolith. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> but uh, overall, this book still holds up. I mean... This I don't even remember when this book was written. Besides Madame Zaroni, there is a point within the book where they finally say what race everyone is. Uh, and that it's pretty much a 50-50. Three black kids, three white kids, and one Hispanic. And I like that it's important that those characters are that way and that it's explicitly said. But it's also not screamed at, focus on me, look how diverse I am. It's the correct... Just so you know, this is what everyone is, but we're all out here in the dust. We're all completely the same. Yeah, at one point, they're like, it doesn't matter what skin color you are. You're going to be muddy. You're going to be muddy brown or you're going to be a a dusty brown whenever you're done digging the hole. Um, They do kind of play into it at one point, and they play into it a little bit more in the book than they do in the movie. uh, Because Zero and Stanley uh, come to an agreement that Zero helps dig part of the hole oh yeah and everyone says that he's a, a slave master and has a whip and like well yeah like that's that's appropriate that's makes sense for what's going on here yeah and they're just they're unhappy that they get to do this arrangement and i understand both sides so it's kind of like you're kind of like man that's a that's the wrong thing to say but i kind of understand why they're saying it so <laughs> But yeah, this book still holds up after however many years it's been since it's been published. Um, it's still very tidy. Of course, I don't know if it could happen nowadays because of the child endangerment. You know, you're putting boys out in 90, 100 degree heat with water. I mean, yeah, they get water, but someone passes out, that's on you. Well, if they still let kids act at the medieval fair, I'm sure that they have <laughs> precautions set up for the desert. Oh, consent forms. You can get away with a lot. <laughs> but yeah, they. I in the movie, if you get rid of that early 2000s filter, if you can get rid of that, it honestly, it, it still pretty much holds up. Well, then how about this for our final question? Mm, yeah. Um. Uh, kind of related to Holes, we both grew up with Lewis Sacker, but if there was one book from your childhood, like from the same age that Holes is, that you could would want to see turned into an adaptation, film or TV show, what would it be? And I'll let you think about it because it just came to me, so I'll do mine first. If you've ever read anything by uh, Patricia Reed, you'll know that she has this four-part series oh called D- Dealing with Dragons. Dealing with Dragons is the fantasy show that I need in my life right now. Game of Thrones is over. We need to fill the void. I want 
fearless Princess Simmerine, who just does not fit into the role that her family assigns to her, goes out and makes something of herself and has wonderful, marvelous adventures in this pretty much entirely dragon-based society. Please let someone make this happen, if not just for that damn gargoyle. Or even to make it into a graphic novel adaptation. I would read that forever. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm I I support this 100%. I don't want it a movie because it, no, it, you couldn't fit it all into a movie. The first book was really really good. That one you could fit into a movie. The other three would be really hard. A mini series might be fun. Like yeah. Good Omens is only six episodes long. I think you could do. I don't know. I don't remember how many books Good Omens was. It's one book. It's one book, and mm-hmm. they split it into six books mm-hmm. or six episodes. Yeah, see, I I think it would maybe have to do the first two, maybe in a like you do two, you can probably maybe get two seasons out of it, maybe or like two like mini series out of it. Do like one. Well, each season, season would be one book. No sense in that's spreading what it, out it needs that far. to be. That's it, it's it's exactly what it needs to I be. I really want to. I'm visualizing like Jermaine Clement for some reason as maybe like the knight who keeps trying to come and rescue Simmerin and she just keeps saying, well, I mean, you can come back later. I mean, the she, she's out right now, but if you come back later, I'll uh, let you in. <laughs> you can go talk to her about all this. Can we have um, Julie Andrews as the main dragon? <gasps> oh, Aaron, you've made me the happiest girl in the world. <laughs> oh, now that's where Julie Andrews needs to be. Absolutely. She's, she's... Like give her just a little bit of a growl, like a little bit of a growl on the bottom of her voice, and it's perfect, for, uh-huh. for, especially for that dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, who will be the witch who has all the cats and the magical changing house in the middle of the forest? Because I'm getting a very um. Again, like all these movies being made up, like get rid of next Ch- Maleficent, get rid of next live act, just cut all those, just acquire the rights to do dealing with dragons she was a bit no nonsense i remember and she was in like looks like 30s 40s she's got like, change change race yeah so the girl who plays domino from deadpool 2 is the woman who comes yeah. to mind for me just i've not seen the her giant else big besides. hair and just like saying shoot shoot all you get out of here go i've not seen her anything else besides deadpool so i, I she uh, that's too and that's too silly of a role to for me to understand oh if you know who should play that. princess simmerin no daisy ridley that would be fun. I think she's too old at this point. Actually, she would be good as the the witch um, if you s- stayed with that and maybe different um, uh, race changed the uh, princess. <laughs> That'd be fun. Because you need someone who could do comedy, but not necessarily someone who's serious, but then can deliver those sar- sardonic one-liners. All right, we're going to start drafting up this proposal for later, but I want to hear what movie you think would be. Hulu, get on this. <laughs> you you threw, you, uh, you threw Dirk Gently under the bus, or you didn't allow Dirk Gently to c- continue with this awesome second season. Come on. Well, my, my number one choice is already getting adapted into a movie, and if they fuck this up, I will be so mad. So um, I I can't say that one. In my number two choice, already was made into a movie back in the seventies, eighties. So knowing what both of those are, 
would you pick the Arcadians then? Arcadians might be number three because uh, a lot of people are enjoying the fantasies right now. That's such a great kind of overarching fantasy. Um, you told me one point after you read it, you said it's a great almost um, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen for fantasies because it combines all these different literary fantasy characters in one. But I it's- sense we're going to have some competing bids on this. Well, no, I think there, I fantasy, think be two, I want a fantasy. I think yours would be a great kind of teen, like almost like a silly with just a little bit of an edge. Get the animation team behind Shira to. Are you talking about yeah. for me? Uh, for or, dealing with dragons. Oh man, too many dragons. I don't want to do it just a big old CGI fest. Yeah, I mean, I can still see them doing it well, but yeah, I, I animation. Or even like a Steven Universe or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like the Arcadians, man. You get a good director and a good uh, good set of actors that could be done really, really well. So, mm-hmm. And for those of you who are curious, my number one choice would be Artemis Fowl. It's coming. Which, according to the rumors or according to the information that has been spread, it is being done and it's being directed by Kenneth Branagh, who directed the first Thor and is... Uh, of actually a fairly prolific actor, though most of you would only know him from, or would mostly know him from, his turn as Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter. I love that it's still the role I know him best as. (laughs) Which hurts my heart because he is a fantastic actor and so many other things. But he's actually a really, really, really good director too. So I'm interested to see what he's going to do. But the problem is... It's Disney, and Disney does not have good track record, save for what we just reviewed, mm-hmm. in in recent years. Well, I've seen some artwork for Artemis Fowl, and it looks pretty fabulous if they're going with the same sort of direction. Yeah, and uh, someone there's a female playing the Root play character, which I, I everyone's f- flipping their lid, like, oh, how dare you, how dare you. I'm like, just shut the fuck up. Um, Aaron's starting to get really mad at dudes for me. Let's me save my outrage for other things. Exactly. And then my number two has already been a film, which I would love to do at one point because I want to reread the book just because of how great the book is. And then I want to watch the movie with you because not only is it kind of a fun movie, but it's it was animated and I think directed by the animation great Chuck Jones. And of course, I'm talking about the Phantom Tollbooth. That has to be an episode later on. So Absolutely. But for now, we'll stick with the Summer of Disney. Please don't. Please don't make me. I'm already so tired of Disney. Oh, uh, oh, hon. Oh, just wait till you see what we have up next. It, make, it makes me cry. You ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, shut up. No. No. So, yes, uh, the Summer of Disney continues for now. Uh, probably up until about maybe Labor Day or so, the quote-unquote official end of summer, because that's when I have to stop wearing my floral for Floral Fridays. <laughs> Be sure to follow us everywhere. Share us a, uh, a like. We recently tried to go for best podcast in Knoxville. We have no idea if we won it again or not. So <laughs> we have to find. Well, we have to find newspaper. a place that yeah, we have to find a place that has newspapers, actual print newspapers. No one does that. <laughs> it's so meta. <laughs> so. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to 
check out everything. And if you want to be a sponsor, uh, hit us up on the sponsor dome. So, and again, check out audible.com, audibletrial.com slash guarantee the idea. I think I've, uh, pandered enough. Uh, Liz, can you give me that final Yahoo? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, how about this? Why did we wait till so late to record? (laughs) Uh, because I'm a monster. That's why. Truly, you are. If you're gonna keep me, make me watch these Disney live action remakes. You are the monster here. Oh. <laughs> I'm not the monster here. You are. <laughs> uh, she's Elizabeth. He's Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.